Y'all, welcome back again to the How to Fix a Broken Record podcast. I am just like having the time of my life doing this podcast because it's like me talking to a lot of my favorite people, basically. And I'm excited to uh, introduce to some, but really uh, others are already knowing (laughs) who she is. Reintroduce to others. Jennifer Chung is on the podcast today. Singer, songwriter, YouTube Phenom, her YouTube videos have garnered over 37 million views and counting. Her new mini album, After All, is out right now. So if you want to pause this right now and just go and buy it real quick and come back, you could do those things. We want you to. Jennifer, oh my gosh, thank you so much for joining the How to Fix a Broken Record podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so blessed just to be able to have the opportunity to do this with you. I'm super excited because we are talking through the topic of lessons in adulting, which is uh, one of the sections of how to fix a broken record. And I just thought that you would be such a perfect person to talk to about this because we're talking about social media here, which as a YouTube personality, I make it, did I make that up? That's the right term. I was like, YouTuber, I mean, people say that. YouTube people, personality. Yeah, YouTuber. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. So first of all, I want to ask you, I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this question ahead of time. It just came (laughs) to my mind. But I want to ask you, what can you think of a moment or like even just a current moment could be something really like simple and basic that you're like, I am adulting well today. I did this thing. I'll tell you mine. One of the ways that I'm like have a moment where I'm like, oh my gosh, I am adulting is when I'm just honest with myself about how long it takes me to get ready in the morning. And when Mm. I actually like wake up in and like leave my house on time like if I have to go to a meeting or do an event or something and I just stop playing and I'm like look girl you need two and a half hours <laughs> you gotta wake <laughs> up you're trying to drink your water and go to the bathroom and center yourself and eat breakfast like you can't wake up 30 minutes before you have to leave like right. you need two and a half hours girl take your two and a half hours and then like when it's time to leave and I'm like I'm leaving the house and I'm hydrated and I went to the bathroom. I am adulting. Well, like what, what is something that you do like this, that you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm being a good adult today. Mm, It's so funny that you bring up how you know that you're adulting well, because that's how I know I'm not adulting. Well, (laughs) is when I'm running late and I'm like, Oh, I knew I should have like woken up hella earlier. Like, you know, yourself. And of course, Hobie and I got into an argument about this. And the thing is, he's like saying things to me. And I'm like, you're right. You're right. I know. I know. Um, I would say something that I know, something that tells me that I'm adulting right is just keeping in touch with my friends. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm in Atlanta and I've been here now the past four years, but I'm originally from California. Mm-hmm. And so there is like a slight time difference. And also my friends are scattered everywhere, but I think I do a pretty good job letting like my core group of girlfriends know that I think of them. Mm. And I, I know when I was younger, I'd be like, Oh, she didn't call me. She doesn't care about me. Like, I don't want to care about her more than she cares about me, but you get older and you realize people have different love languages and it's not necessarily because they don't care about me. It's just life happens. Mm. And to be gracious and understanding that, but also me not wanting to regret because I think things a certain way. So 
I'm going to contact them even if they don't contact me because I love them and you know, YOLO. So if I go, <laughs> I will have no regrets. I've, you know, I've already said my piece. Yes. <laughs> that I. Love. So yeah, anytime I have it in my heart to reach out, I think I do a pretty good job doing it. And it's not to say I, I can't keep working on that because there are still some people that are in my heart that I'm like, okay, I really want to catch up with them. But I think, I think that's somewhere I've grown. Oh, I love that. I also love the hashtag because YOLO. I just, so many things fall under that. (laughs) It's funny because I say this now to like younger cats that I meet and they're like, YOLO. And I'm like, you guys, I'm just joking, but not, you know. (laughs) It's like a, it's like you're bringing back a vintage, you know, it's like you're bringing back a little vintage slang, you know, in internet terms, it would be vintage probably. So I think, yes, I'm here for it. Okay. (laughs) One of the, uh, two of the chapters actually in this section are power of yes and power of no. And I feel like in the journey of learning to adult well, it is learning like, okay, these are the things I'm saying no to. These are the things I'm saying yes to. And also just as an artist, mm-hmm. and I'm interested to hear, you know, your uh, perspective on this, but as an artist, I feel like saying I find it hard sometimes to say no, because I'm just so excited that people are like, wanting to hear my art or something. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, somebody wants to hear my art and they have $5. Like, yeah, I, I, I totally want to go to that when it may not be the best thing for me to do. It may not be the best use of my time. So I'm, I'm trying to practice that even like as an artist, as a full-time artist, which I know you are a full-time artist too. So you feel those tensions. Like where, where would you say in your life right now, you're, you're learning, you have to say no to these things in order to really do adulting well? Mm. It's funny because I think more than saying no to other people, I think I'm pretty good at saying no to people. (laughs) Okay, here's the thing. Because I grew up as like a kid of a single parent and always feeling like I was on the go, I I was pretty independent. Mm. I, I was blessed with a really good community. But I've worked in customer service like my whole life. I've worked in restaurants. I've worked in like, you know, retail stores. And it's always like under promise over deliver. Yeah. So I don't tend to say yes a lot. I always like try to say like, I'll try. Let me get back to you because I don't want to over promise things. Um, but I think something that I've learned that I have to say no to is more to myself in terms of my selfish desires, mm. in terms of what is comfortable to me. And it's also... Um, saying no to my, my own sinful ways of judging others. Yeah. And, um, cause I'm really good at saying no, <laughs> but also, um, something that I've had to like learn to say yes to is being more giving because mm-hmm. I've learned even in my marriage that like my husband's a very giving person. And I mean, that also has to do with his background of, um, when he was younger, before his father passed, like they, they were pretty wealthy. And then they went through their own financial struggles afterwards. But for me, I was pretty much poor my whole life. I've moved physical addresses every year until this year. You know, I've never lived in a house. I don't know what that looks like. Um, my mom struggled with money as an artist herself. My dad was also an artist. So um, there's a lot of things I like to keep because I'm like, oh, oh, this is mine. I made mine. This is mine. And to being able to say, oh, you need this? Yes, you can also have it or you can have it all. You know, that's something that I'm I really struggle with. 
Can you tell me more to, you mentioned one thing, but what are other things that you are at a point where you're like, oh, it's very important for me to say yes to this? Like, what would you say those things are? Uh, and, you know, like, because YOLO, <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> I, I've learned to say yes to myself in terms of, um, I think I'm in the season of realizing how judgmental I can be. Mm. So even saying yes to myself and being like, yes, you are worthy. You know, you are able to go ahead and do things like create a whole new album after all these years. It's okay to take some time to um, figure out what your own path is. And as I get older, I see all my friends being established a certain way and it's not necessarily my path, but being like, yes, that's okay. Like, yes, this is my way. Yes, this is what God has planned for me. Um, and just really believing it. Oh, I love that. I, I love that, like having to come to that realization of like, this is what life is supposed to look like for me. Because I definitely feel like as an artist, my other friends that had more, I guess, established careers, like they interned. And then when they got out of school, they went into like jobs that were similar to their internship. And so I would sort of look at myself compared to them if we were the same age. And I'd be like, oh man, like that person, you know, already like owns a house and has this, has that, you exactly. know, and I'm just exactly. like, you know, getting started over here with this part mm -hmm. or whatever it was. And just having to say like, well, that's okay. Like, it's okay that my friend, you know, works in this career and that she drives this kind of car and that she lives in that place. You know, she worked hard. That's like the path that her life took. And like, it's okay that this is the path that I'm on because this is what I wanted to do. I turned out to not be a great cubicle person, <laughs> you know, that mm -hmm. turned out to not be like the best environment for me. So I, I do feel like a part of the yes and no balance is just also accepting like, oh, this is my road. And that's okay if that like looks different you know, from other people or from anybody else, you know? Mm-hmm, exactly. I, I wanted to ask you, I want to talk about social media a little bit because I talk about uh, social media in a couple of chapters of the book. One of them is like reasons why social media is the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> and then <laughs> one of the chapters is reasons why social media is the worst thing that ever happened to me. And um, I'm in my late, I guess um, these are considered late thirties now I'm 37. So I remember like, I sort of am trying to like think through like, well, what was my journey onto what we now call social media? And I think that started out on AOL when that was like a big thing to be like chatting in chat rooms and stuff. And then I think it went from AOL to MySpace when you could like organize your top eight <laughs> or top yes. 10 or top 16 friends. And you waited like 30 minutes for that page to upload because it's like <laughs> forever, right? And then everybody was like, oh no, get on Facebook. Facebook, you know, is easier. And I remember kind of being a little um, resistant to Facebook because I guess with me being a bit older, like Facebook seemed like it was for college students. And I was like, do grown people get on Facebook? Like, I don't know. Right. And then I was like, hey, I'm going to lose all my designs I've made on my MySpace page. <laughs> No, it's like I, there's thought that was put into this. <laughs> yes. I was like, I don't know that I want to abandon that. And then I finally like got on Facebook and I was like, okay, I dig Facebook. And then Twitter came along. And of course, like YouTube is somewhere in there also in that 
trajectory, although it took me a lot longer to get on YouTube and then Snapchat. It's just like, you know, I'm sure in 10 years, there'll be like more things to add to that. Can you describe to me your your social media journey? Like how, wh- where do you remember social media sort of being a start for you that ended mm-hmm. up with you really leading this YouTube community of your own? Sure. Um, so as an Asian American um, girl, just looking at the entertainment scene or just the music scene, I didn't know if there was a place for me necessarily, but I think because I always grew up performing, I, I still keep, kept singing. And when you follow your passions, naturally, I think doors open as long as you do it with intention. And I was moving again after high school, um, you know, I had mentioned before that I was moving physical addresses every year and it was the summer before college. And that's usually when you hang out with your friends the most, but, um, we had to move and it wasn't close by. So my friends were telling me that they missed seeing me or miss hearing me sing. So I went ahead and just uploaded my first YouTube video and it was just by chance. YouTube wasn't anything big. Before that, there was even this thing called SoundClick. I don't know if you remember yes, SoundClick. But SoundClick, yes. Yeah. So I would like upload little clips of me singing. But I mean, it's one thing, right? Because people hear you. And then it's another thing when uh, you're this Asian girl that's like singing Alicia Keys. Because that's pretty much what happens. My happened. My first video that went viral in tw- 2007 was when I covered Alicia Keys' No One because my friend requested it and like a hip hop website just put me on and it wasn't necessarily, Oh, she's so good. It was just more like, check out this Asian girl singing Alicia Keys. Mm -hmm. And you know, it got a lot of views and um, it was a little overwhelming, but it was really exciting because I think, you know, it's funny because now that I live in the South, I could imagine why some people could not imagine that an Asian girl would be singing. But being from California, I think, there, there is a lot more diversity mm-hmm. um, in California um, just because I feel like the older generation, at least in the Korean community, moved to California first mm. um, and then slowly moved their way out to the east. But, um, yeah, I think it was like a great opportunity for me to learn what it's like to be criticized online, mm. but also learn what it was like to grow up because I was 17 when I uploaded my first video and I was going into college and it was really cool because people would start recognizing me while I was going to college and um, slowly Twitter was coming out and I got active on Twitter and then Facebook was obviously one of the earlier ones. They didn't have video back then so I would just put my links of my YouTube videos on Facebook and I just continued to communicate with um, my following. And I, I've been really blessed because with YouTube, the reach is so global yeah. that I had no idea who was watching me from where. But um, yeah, I think it taught me at a young age how to communicate with people, even when they're not in front of me. I love that. And I, I love what you said even about the representation that that is a really beautiful thing about social media is that it really leveled the playing field in a lot of ways before Mm. there was social media for us as artists. It was like, okay, well either 
I'm going to try to hope I get signed by some big record label so I can get played on the radio. And not that a lot of us as artists still don't maybe want those things, but I think social media came along and leveled this playing field. Like, well, I have a song, you know, and I can put my song in this place where like, I don't need that middle person. I can get directly to the crowd of people that want to hear, you know, what I have to say. But I love also that a part of your story is you getting a chance to be a part of adding that representation that there are other Asian American girls that could see you and go, oh my gosh, she looks like me. Like right. I'm getting to see her gift and see her talent, like whatever my gift or my talent is, I can also not let fear keep me from sharing that with the world. Like that is a really, really beautiful thing. Thank you. And you know, it's funny because even when we look at artists, a lot of them change their names. Uh, when I was younger, I realized that a lot of people weren't necessarily the name that they represented themselves as. Mm-hmm. Um, but at a young age, even in high school, I told myself, like, no, I'm going to be Jennifer Chung. Like, I want people to hear Chung and think of me. <laughs> I want people to think of, you know, a regular, like, artist, even if they hear how Asian of a name my my name is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I was very conscious of. So, uh I knew that that in the end I was like, Oh, should I have like changed it? But I'm glad I didn't. And I hope that it became somewhat of an internet household name for a time period just to normalize Asian names. Oh, I love that. I love that. Oh my gosh. I love the normalizing of, of your name. I love that. I think that's so powerful. I was um, talking to someone recently about just how um, in, in my cultural story, like there's, you know, you get back to, I've been doing all this family tree work. Mm -hmm. So I get back to like my fourth great grandparents. And then I just, I lose the paperwork on them because they no longer are lit. Their names are no longer listed. It just says like male, female, that they're a slave and how old they were. Their names are nowhere anywhere. And when I saw that, it really reminded me how important names are, that we should say each other's names, that we should say them correctly, that even when people may be from a different culture from us, they may speak a different language from us, like we need to pronounce those names right, that that is also such a powerful way to say a person's important, that their story yeah. is important, that their story matters, that we need we need more of your story. When I say your name and I say it properly, you know? So mm-hmm. I love that, Jennifer. Oh, I love that part of your story. Tell me, Thank you. what do you love about social media? What's like one of your favorite things about being a part of it? Yeah, I think you, you touched upon it. Uh, leveling of the playing field Basically, you get to have the opportunity of presenting yourself the way that you want to be presented. Mm. And you get to take the narrative of whatever you want to be portrayed as. And there's definitely people who use it for evil, but there are definitely a lot of people who can use it for good. And no matter what, because people are sinful, you'll say something, you might mean it in a good way, and they'll twist your words anyway. Mm. But but it's still yours. Like you get to do that. You get to, you get to shift and change things. You get to take a stand. And I think that being able to learn how to communicate with people is so beautiful. And a lot of times people are like, Oh, I miss having phone calls. I wish people would call people again. And I think that's very important. I think the reason why I'm able to communicate well 
online as much as I have is because I like to communicate with people in person too and over the phone. Mm. I just like over communicating. Um, but I, I hope that people don't neglect communicating online because, you know, I know that Gen Z, for example, that's like after millennials, they like communicating in different ways. And I just don't want to lose touch with, um, the people that I can reach out to. Um, and I also met a lot of people online through Twitter or through Instagram, like DMing people. I hella slide into people's DMs and not in like weird ways, uh, just cause I see talent and I want to learn from these people and collaborate. Mm-hmm. With them. Um, have you ever heard of Behance? Yes. Yes. I know Behance. Yes. Okay. So Behance is how I found the guy who, um, made my animation art for my album. Wow. And he just happened to be Korean. So I reached out to him via email after I found him on Behance and we became friends two years ago. I met him in person and we finally got to work together on this album. And then Jean Pyo, who, uh, did the graphic design for my album. I found her on Instagram and we became friends through Instagram. Wow. And my husband, I met him through Instagram. So, wow. and he found me, he, he was following me on Instagram because he found me on YouTube. And for me, my YouTube page, like if you compare me with big YouTubers now, I look like chopped liver, but that's okay. Cause it's still like my resume yeah. and it's my archive of history. And that's something that I've learned to own as well. Uh, I feel very blessed to have that platform but it's really helped me make connections with people and legitimize who I am. Not because like, Oh, look what I have, but it's more like, no, look what I've been trying to do. Yeah. I think it's not about being like, I'm number one. It's more so I'm earnestly trying to build something and I'm reaching out to you because I can tell that you're earnestly trying to build something too. Mm. And there's nothing better than being with other people who strengthen you. And if we really are the people we spend the most time with, then I want to spend time with people who are better than me so that I can learn from them. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I, I love that because it's part of what you're saying is what really inspired me to want to not only do this podcast, but to interview the particular people that I wanted to interview because I was uh, thinking about something that a mentor of mine had told me. He said he had sat in on this, um, I guess it was like a, Q&A kind of thing that Intozaki Shange, who wrote Afro Colored Girls Have Considered Suicide When the Rainbow Is Enough. Mm. He was uh, in a room and, she, you know, with, with her and other people and people were asking her questions. And somebody asked her, oh, Intozaki, you know, how did you get a chance to work with all these famous people? And she said, well, at the time that we were working together, they weren't just famous people. They were my friends. Mm. We all started out sort of building our careers together. So now as she said, you know, you look at me, it's like you, you're imagining I'm in all these rooms with all these celebrities. But when I first met those people, they weren't celebrities. We were all just trying to build a thing. And I feel like I hear that in what you're saying too. this communal aspect of like, you know, hey, let's, let's work together and build, you know, we don't know where we're going to be in 10 years. You know, we can help each other get to whatever those places are where we want to get. I love that. I want to ask you this. What do you hate about social media <laughs> or what oh, do you find good. challenging about it? <laughs> well, okay. I, when I feel some type of way and I want to express myself, I have to learn how I'm going to really say things correctly. And I realize like sometimes I post things and I'm like, okay, 
I could have worded this differently or I could have taken a moment to really think about what I wanted to say. But there's some people who really don't care and they just say things. There's somebody that is supposed to be a president (laughs) who is like using social media in a way that's very divisive and it kind of rubs off on you though, right? Like when they're mad and just being really ridiculous, you can't believe it. And then you're appalled and then you might say something that maybe doesn't, isn't as convincing, but you're passionate. Mm -hmm. Not to say that it's wrong, but yeah, I don't know. Like with social media, I think that's, that's the hardest part. And also if, if young people aren't comfortable with who they are yet, or even adults, mm-hmm. social media could be really discouraging. And it's discouraging for me still. You know, I see all these people who look like they have the best lives according to like materialistic things or their bodies looking right. And they're just the most beautiful people. And it looks like they have a lot of money. You know, I'm just like, what am I doing wrong? But I have to shift that in my mind and say, no, 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 no. Like what, why am I thinking this way? Mm. And, um, yeah, just, I just wish we can continue to use social media for good. And I don't think it's impossible. Um, but it's inevitable for people to ruin a good thing, no matter what it is. Right. We can put that on a plaque. Dear. Yeah. Okay. Let me ask you about this. Cause I'm always curious about this for, people who really have strong YouTube following like you do. Um, Because I think as we've seen social media advance, we also see like this very strange comment culture where now that people know they can say certain things and their picture is not there and it may not be their real name there. They sort of feel more courageous if that is, if that is a, a version of courage, which it's really not, but they feel more, emboldened I guess to say Mm -hmm. certain things that might be offensive or mean right so Mm -hmm. in your journey in just this community that you've built on your YouTube channel like how what are the self-care things that you do to help combat when maybe you experience a troll or someone that is not using social media in the positive way that you are Mm. um I think, again, it's like that great community and just sharing with each other what we struggle with Mm. and knowing like, oh, a lot of people actually feel this way and having a conversation and encouraging one another and also going back to where you started Mm. and with YouTube being an archive, I can go to like the very first video that I ever uploaded and I was just in front of my laptop in my room just singing. I had no idea what was going to happen. And knowing how far I've come and where I'll continue to go, I have no idea. Um, I think it helps refocus and remember that it comes with the territory, that if you put yourself out there, there are going to be people who are about it and there are going to be people who aren't. But you can't, by minimizing, well, actually, by putting the focus on the people who are very negative, Mm you're minimizing the people who are saying the good things. So yeah, that I think that's been helping me. That's really good. And I think a part of what we're talking about, which, you know, you even brought up this next generation of people. I think when we're talking about, you know, lessons in adulting, you know, handling social media, you know, is something that's a part of 
becoming an adult, even though we didn't know (laughs) that that would become a part of it, you know, how you manage that, how you manage, you know, what you want to say there, you know, Mm -hmm. what your sort of personal brand in a way is going to be, how much of your life you want to put there, the parts of your life you want to, you know, keep to yourself. All those things are a part of like maturing and and growing up and figuring out, you know, who you are. I want to ask you about uh, failure, which is obviously a really exciting topic. (laughs) Yes, I love it. (laughs) But I feel like failure in general is a part of adulting. And in particular, I think for those of us who become full-time artists, become entrepreneurs, like I just feel like my quotient on failing just went way up when I decided to work for myself, you know, and try to build something like you described to try to build something that wasn't wasn't there before, hasn't been done before in this particular way. How do you feel about failure? Because I think I think there is this consensus that most of us hate failure, dislike failure, but some people are seem more resilient. Yeah. <laughs> like I look at some people and like they're like, yeah, I tried this and I tried that and that didn't work. And then I went back and I tried this and I'm like, well, yeah, I tried this and that didn't work. And then I cried for like seven days. And then I like ate a bunch of brownies and I was like really depressed. And then I was like, maybe I'll try something else. And then I got back in bed, you know, or whatever it was. You right, know? So I'm right. just curious to hear like in your personality, you know, how, how do you feel about failure? I'm more of like a perfectionist kind of personality. So failure just wrecks me to no mm-hmm. end, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, failure for me feels like, like I'm empty. Mm. Like everything's gone. There is no light. It just feels like darkness. And I think it's something that the devil has used to just like hang this dark cloud over me as if, um, once I fail, that's all there is. Um, but I, I do love watching shows like Shark Tank or Mm. hearing stories of entrepreneurs or artists who have had to work so hard to, you know, dust themselves off and try again. Mm. Um, because I think those are the moments that keep people grounded. And I think the people who are relentless in terms of not being gracious to people, I think those are the people who may have never really felt that darkness and that what failure looks like. Because I think in those dark times, you also see the people who bring in the light and bring in the hope and like guide you back. And then you remember like, oh, I can't do it alone. This is actually like a community thing. And this is actually a God thing Mm. where I'm supposed to feel that emptiness. And, you know, one of my favorite Brooke Frazier songs is based upon C.S. Lewis quote, you know, if I find myself desires, nothing in this world can satisfy. I can only conclude that I was not meant for here. Mm. And it's, it's the truth. Cause I think even if you succeed in whatever you're trying to do, the world tells you you're not done. Like you're not even close. Mm. There's still so many people who have done far more than you, or there's so many things that you wish you could still do. And you may not ever accomplish those things, but how do you still find value in yourself? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Can you, can you think of a time when it felt like a failure, but you now Mm. see that there was opportunity 
even in the moment that it felt like, oh, this is messed up or this didn't go the way that I hoped it would? Like, have you had any moments like that personally or as an artist? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, so for example, I've never actually like said this to like an outward thing, but when I first came out with my first album a few years ago, I felt like it wasn't good enough in in terms of like the, the management that I was with. My music wasn't given opportunities like getting placements online through like Korea, for example. And I was just told that it just wasn't what they wanted. It, it just wasn't good enough. Well, well, like other people under my management were getting those opportunities and it was really tough to make it in LA to like work all these odd jobs while trying to do music. Um, and so I left my management and I packed my bags and I left for Korea, but I had great community. So people introduced me to other musicians in Korea and I actually, got a meeting with the Korean publishing company that my former management was working with. Um, The one that told the ones that supposedly said that my music wasn't good enough. And when I met them, they told me that my, that they had never heard my music before and my management never showed them my music. So they like signed me immediately as, you know, an artist that they represent in Korea. So they released my album there. They've given me a lot of opportunities to record music for them on outside projects, got me deals to get my music placed and other things. And they are releasing my album in Korea too. So I think in that time I felt like, Oh, I guess I'm not good enough. Like, what do I have to do? Like, what do I even have to prove? But I had to trust my gut and leaving my management and also embrace the community that's always supported me. Um, and they led me to the very people I thought didn't even care for my music. And I have a great relationship with them to this day. So, um, yeah, anything can happen. Like you might think that, I mean, you might confidently feel like someone's not about you, but there may be someone else like not telling the whole truth. So you have to seek out the truth for yourself. Oh my gosh. I love, I love that story. And it really resonates with me, uh, particularly where I am right now as an artist, like just even hearing you describe that moment where, you know, there's, you know, this entity you're working with or this situation you're in where someone is looking at you going, this art you made, that's not what we want. Right. Oh my gosh. Like, I think so many of us as artists have that moment. And that moment is such a truth teller to you because it's like, okay, either, Either I'm going to try and be what I think people want, you know, and Mm -hmm. people loose term there, but people like whoever these people are that I'm working with or this, you know, event or this thing I'm trying to be a part of, either I'm going to try really hard to be this thing they want, which probably means I'm not going to be myself, which is not going to end well. Or mm. I'm, you know, in a way going to pack up my bags and go to Korea. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that part of your story of you going, okay, I've been trying to knock on this door that isn't opening. And maybe that means it's not the right door. It's right. not that I'm wrong for knocking. It's that the door's not right. And maybe right. I need to just pick myself up from this environment where I am and take myself to a different place and see what the opportunities are there. I love the bravery of doing that. 
like the courage it took to say, no, I'm going to do, I'm still going to be myself. And that has, that pays off more in the long run. I mean, I'm watching it as I watch you as an artist, Jennifer, like that you being yourself is paying off more in the long run than if you would have been like, okay, well, what is it you want? Like, what is it I need to do? Tell me what I need to be. Like, those aren't the right questions. You know, you have to be yourself first, you know? So I think that's so, so powerful. Let me ask you this. How do you define success? Because I think, I think first of all, you know, in some of us as a generation, you know, we sometimes are holding ourselves to this standard of what we deem success to be, as we were talking about earlier. But I'm Mm -hmm. learning too, like a part of adulting is me saying, this is what it means to me to be successful. Like I made a choice, you know, pretty early on in my artistic career that I would rather be able to do what I love than just make money for the sake of making money. Mm-hmm. I just can't, my soul can't rest like that. Like mm-hmm. I was just at a place where was like, I would rather build something from the ground and really do what I love than be working a job I really, really don't like just for the sake of only this paycheck. Now that's a hard road itself, you know, to build it doesn't mean it's easy, but that was sort of the road that I felt like I needed to take at the time, you know? So as you are, you know, now by the time our listeners hear this, your new mini album will be out. So Mm -hmm. you have walked yourself through this journey, you know, with your community now at this point of your career as an artist, like how do you define success? What does it mean to Jennifer Chung to be successful? Okay. So for Jennifer Chung to be successful, it means that she is very much satisfied with very much satisfied and recognizing who she is with God first. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it's easy, especially with like releasing a new project and stuff. You're just waiting for people to hear the music and tell you what they think. But even if they told you what they think, even if they loved it or even if they hate it, what does that mean for me? Mm. Um, but I, I finished what I started and releasing it and having people listen to it is part of that. But through this whole process, I have to recognize that my success is in the fact that God has been faithful. And um, through that faithfulness, I was able to take a leap of faith. when, like Starting from quitting my job earlier this year, to connecting with uh, the producer, Sam Ock, and releasing it. Um, and I don't know what the next few months will look like, right? Because I'm not signed with the label. This is all independent. And I don't know if I'm going to get a bunch of gigs. I don't know how people will receive it. I might be working at another office job again in a few months. But does that mean that I didn't succeed? Because like, I didn't even know in the beginning of this year that I would finish a project this quick. Mm. and release like new songs and have people super support it through Kickstarter. I just, I just had to have faith that I was supposed to write the music. And something I've been telling a lot of people is I was just listening to God and he just told me he wasn't done with me yet. Mm. And I think even if this releases, I think my success is knowing that he's not done with me yet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's so powerful. I love that. I love that. Cause I think that 
I feel like a, a part of the lesson I'm learning too and what I hear and what you're saying is that when you when you define what makes you successful, not on sort of these very temporary things, it just leaves you this wide open path in a way. Like it just feels like it's like now you can really like spread your wings and fly, not to mm-hmm. use bird cliches, but I'm just saying it makes you feel no, like you can spread your wings and fly right there. It's yeah. Like, okay. Like I, I have less limitations than, you know, maybe I've been thinking I have, or then I've been creating under, like I have a lot more room to really do some things and build some things and create with other people. Like, I love that. Let me ask you one more question. And then we're going to talk about music. Cause I, I want to hear about your favorite album. Cannot wait. <laughs> what advice would you give someone who wants to be good at adulting, what would you tell them? The advice that I would give to someone who wants to be good at adulting is know what you're really bad at first. Yes. You know, like what is something that is honestly the ugly things about you Mm. and like the terrible things about you? And don't wait till somebody tells you because it's hard to receive that. Um, but it's not to say, like, don't beat yourself up. But just recognize. And um, I think that's helping me become a better adult. Like, when, when I hear you say, like, you know you need two hours to get ready, I'm like, oh, me too. Like, I should wake up earlier. Um, and, yeah, I would say that's my biggest advice. Just know what you need to work on first. Think about what you don't like about other people and see how much that's actually more of you. Right. Mm, Like having a good assessment of yourself. Like, yeah, you know, these areas where you may be gifted or talented. And then, you know, these areas where you're like, and I really suck. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh, I love that. Okay. I always ask everyone that I interview on the How to Fix a Broken Record podcast about their favorite albums, because I just feel like we can't talk about how to fix a broken record without talking about music, which is one of my favorite things. And I know it's one of your favorite things too. Yes. So tell me, what is your favorite album and why do you love it? Okay. My favorite album that I always tell people first and foremost is India Ari's Voyage to India. I knew that we were supposed to be friends. (laughs) Yes. And like, I just love this album because she's a storyteller. Mm -hmm. And this album made me realize like, dude, she's such an amazing, obviously she's an amazing vocalist, but her songwriting skills is anointed. Mm. Like she is someone who paints a picture for you and makes it so personal. And I think she, in a way, because she created an amazing album like this, made me feel like, hey, like I can also start writing songs that isn't necessarily about me, mm-hmm. but, but it teaches me something still. And, and, and hopefully it'll teach other people things. Um, like, what is my favorite song off this album? I mean, everything's really good. Complicated Melody is Ugh, like would you so cool. Would you say that, Jennifer? Like what? Like who sings like that? Who like, oh my gosh, like so creative. You have to listen to it if you haven't listened to it. Um, and Good Man. Good Man is such mm-hmm. a good song. Like who tells stories like this? Yes. Yeah. 
And she is always, you know, constantly reminding people of the light. And I think she's the light. And I hope that that's the type of music that I can create too. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I already just have so much love for you, Jennifer, but the fact <laughs> is like your favorite album, I'm like, I'm like, come to my house right now. We need to, yes! just, like, there's so many other things we need to talk about now that we've talked about this record. Oh my gosh. Like when I first heard Complicated Melody, when it opens up with that, if he were a color, yes! he'd be deep, dark forest green. If you were a car, <laughs> he'd be a, a long stretch, stretch of a limousine <laughs> with room for all of humanity inside. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, I think even the rhythm of the ways that she writes her songs, like I think as a poet, I loved how some of the words that should be on the one line, she let them go into the next line. I mean, oh. Yes, Jennifer. Yes. And I would, I would definitely say I can vouch for the fact that your music is doing these things that you want it to do in the world. And I know that we are, we are, we are watching, we're watching the journey. I know that there's just so much more to come even after all these amazing things that have happened. But I love that your music, your writing, that your voice is just out in the world for people to have a chance to hear your story. So I know that there are going to be people listening to this. They're probably, some people already cut out already because they're like already online looking for how they can buy <laughs> your mini album. <laughs> but for the people that are not already on your website <laughs> buying the things, can you tell us if people want more of Jennifer Chung, they want to know more about you. They want to hear your music. They want to follow you. They want to be a part of this community that you've built on YouTube Tell me how the people listening can find out more about you. Sure. So my website's very easy. It's just jenniferchung.com, C-H-U-N-G. So from the beginning, it's jennifer, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R, C-H-U-N-G.com. But all my social media is Jennifer J. Chung. So there's just a letter J in the middle. Um, so Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Um, you can find me on Spotify, on iTunes. You'll see my old albums there. And you'll see that besides music, I like to do other fun vlogs and just talk about things that I just enjoy. Just wanting to constantly connect with my supporters in other ways besides just music. Because I think earlier on, too, I told myself, you know, as with our art, we, we give ourselves a lot of importance in that. But, you know, you never know what happens because, again, YOLO, your voice might go away one day right. and you might not be able to sing anymore. So where is your value in? And I find a lot of value in connecting with people. So please check out my stuff and hopefully you enjoy after all. Oh, my gosh. Jennifer Chung. I feel like it's like I want to have an audience to be like Jennifer Chung, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I need to get like the clap track on here so it could be like all this applause. But Jennifer, thank you for just taking the time to talk with me about adulting and music. I think a lot of people will really be helped by hearing some of your story. So I, I'm going to have to go because I got to go listen to After All right now. I got to go thank do that right you, now. Thank you. Thanks, Jennifer. The How to Fix a Broken Record podcast is produced by DJ Ope Diggy at Orange Fuzz Studios in Atlanta, Georgia. The book, How to Fix a Broken Record, is available wherever books are sold. Thanks for listening.